Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. And now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasaba, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news newspaper since 1971. Bonus time in the Ben Jarofsky show. Uh, as I speak, it is Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. Uh, the headline that I'm reading is not from today. It's from a week ago. Stephen Sondheim, Titan of the American musical is dead at 91. I saw that headline in last Friday's uh, New York Times and immediately knew I wanted to do a show about Stephen Sondheim. I know everybody thinks of me as a political reporter and a sports junkie, uh, but I am a huge fan of musicals, uh, Broadway theater, and uh, Stephen Sondheim in particular, uh, although I have to admit I, I get a kind of kick out of just reading his lyrics uh, almost as much as I enjoy listening to... Uh, they read really well, folks, if I could just urge you to Stephen Sunheim to read his lyrics sometime. Anyway, uh, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself as, as I do with all distinguished guests, because I think I track down the person best to talk about Stephen Sunheim with uh, in the entire city of Chicago. So distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, my name is William Brown, and I'm a Chicago actor, director, sometimes writer, sometimes teacher. Uh, and, um, I've been lucky enough to be a part of, I don't know, eight or nine different, um, Stephen Sondheim productions, both as actor and director. Um, and I know I'm a lucky boy because of that. All right. Uh, Bill, why don't we start with a, like a personal thought and, uh, could go two ways with my first question. Could either be the significance of, uh, Stephen Sondheim uh, into uh, the history of American musicals and theater, or the significance of uh, Stephen Sondheim to a man who has uh, spent his entire adult life uh, in theater. So why don't we go with that? Uh, sort of what is the significance of Stephen Sondheim to you, and how did you find your way to him? We'll start with that. I first, the first I ever heard of Stephen Sondheim, I grew up in um, a small town in West Virginia, uh, a long time ago, and there weren't really many opportunities to see any Stephen Sondheim, but I read about him. Uh, I, I, read, I, I read, you know, I, I, he was covered in, 
in Time and Newsweek, and, and somehow I got a copy of uh, a record, we called them then, uh, of A Little Night Music, and I think I wore a hole in it. Uh, I couldn't, I, I hadn't seen it. It was years before I saw it. Uh, in point of fact, I don't think I ever saw it before I directed it. Uh, but, uh, and I got the opportunity at Writer's Theater in the, um, in the middle iteration of the, of the theaters in, uh, in Glencoe, uh, at the Women's Library Club. And, um, I, I think I was doing, I, I, I was lucky. I'd been thinking about it for decades, just from this teenager listening to this record. Uh, so... I did the play in my head, in my memory, in my imagination. I was very fortunate to have extraordinary artists, actors, singers, uh, uh, musicians, designers to help me along the way. The space was um, was ideal. It was it, it, it was a hundred seats, and we did it uh, acoustically. Uh, nothing was amplified. We had a lovely little orchestra. Uh, the only requirement I had when we met with the designers was I had to have a harp, and we were we were glad that happened. But because the actors and the musicians had to play with each other, uh, for reals, I think you heard every word. Uh, it, it, it and and because the actors didn't have to pump it up for the you know, second or third balcony. They could just live in it. I had seen the Bergman film, uh, Smiles of a Summer Night, and that was in my in the mix of what I thought this thing was. But they could do, they they could be that. They could just be these characters, and uh, it was a, a wonderful experience for all of us. They still have a Facebook page in which everybody keeps in touch, um, uh, but it was as complete an experience. I I. I can, I think I've had in the theater. So when an actor uh, is performing in a uh, production like a Stephen Sondheim production, is it just a gig, a uh, way to do your, uh, display your gift, make some money doing it? Or do you as an actor realize how significant and how powerful uh, those, this lyricist, this composer is? I have never met any actor or designer or music I've never met anyone who's done a Sondheim play who didn't know how lucky they were that that this is not a gig uh don't tell producers but we probably do it for free <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean much has been said about uh, about his strengths and and then then then, then there's, there's opposing camps of his weaknesses. I don't see the weaknesses. I, I, of course, he's a, an extraordinarily uh, gifted lyricist. He started there. Uh, but his music, I mean, some of it just gets in your soul. As, as, as those actors came out in Times Square last week and sang uh, the finale to Act One of Sunday in the Park with George, well, I... I, I was in that production at the Goodman Theater, the old Goodman Theater, uh, underneath the Art Institute. First day of rehearsal, we went upstairs and just stood around and looked at the painting. That infected that production. 
We knew how special this was. And when it came to that, that particular number where we put together the painting, I don't know how I managed it. <laughs> I, I wanted to cry. I always had goosebumps. Um, I, you know, as we moved about and started to make the painting happen somewhere around, uh, and parasols, bum, 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 bum. And it gently takes you to this, this declaration on an ordinary Sunday. Ba, 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 ba. I mean, it just, I don't know how I managed it. But uh, somehow I did because we do. But to hear all those, uh, all, all those performers standing there in Times Square, and I talked to some too who were there, and they said I didn't sing. I was crying. <laughs> it, 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 you can't say this man is just—it's about his intellect, his heart and soul are in there too. Well, let's talk a little bit about something that may affect uh, his heart and soul. And uh, this is from the obituary in the New York Times. Uh, and I will now read this to you and then get your uh, thoughts. Uh, and this is about his relationships with his mother. And uh, so you know this. Uh, Stephen Sondheim was um, an only child. His parents divorced. And uh, mostly he was raised by his mother, well-to-do, New York City. Uh, and here's what the New York Times obituary uh, had to say. In the years following his parents' separation, Mr. Sunheim recalled for his biography, his mother treated him precisely as she had her husband, flirting with him sexually on the one hand, belittling him on the other. As an adult, Mr. Sunheim supported her financially. Nonetheless, in the 1970s, the night before she was to have heart surgery, she wrote a letter to her son and had it hand-delivered. It read in part, quote, the only regret I have in life is giving you birth, end of quote. I read that, Bill, in the obituary, and I'm like, how the hell could this guy move on with life? Uh, you know, that kind of like psychological crippling by a parent was probably going on his entire life. And I'm wondering if when you think back, having heard that, and you can think about the lyrics, the music, uh, the shows, the Sunheim shows, do you think that you're seeing the impact of that kind of, I don't know what you call it, brutal parenting that he was subjected to? Yeah, I, there, is, uh, there is always pain. There is always pain. There is always hurt. Uh, it does not mean he's not without joy, and it certainly doesn't mean he's not without hope. Uh, I do not... I'm, I'm, I might be alone in this. I, I don't find his work as cynical as some people think it is because I, I, I feel like, you know, interestingly, the first actual Sondheim I did, I was in college in West Virginia, and somehow, and it wasn't long after they, the, the, first, the first production of Follies in New York, right? Was it was maybe a couple years after that. And it, it was a production of Follies. I think about it now, all us college kids. And, of course, because I was tall and had a low voice, I, was, I played Ben. I played one of the four uh, uh, older people that have younger lives in the play. And uh, it's, it's bleak. It's dark. But everyone is looking for something to 
hang on to, whether it's each other or a dream or an idea. And, um, and that, it's probably one of his darkest plays, and yet it's got some of the most fun, fun music in it, the, the recreation of all those Follies numbers. Uh, I, 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 I guess I, I could, I could be way wrong because I, I, I don't, I find cynicism boring and, and, and useless. Uh, um, so I don't see it in his work. Feel free to argue, but, uh, because there's always, no matter where someone goes, uh, and he did the lyrics for Gypsy. Uh, that's, 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 there's a mother. <laughs> Maybe that's where that mother came from. <laughs> now that I'm hearing this quote. But, you know, I mean, she's, mm -hmm. it's easy to call her a monster. Uh, and that, but that big number they give her in which, you know, every, every woman who plays Mama Rose, you know, makes her mark, um, is monstrous. And thrilling and so sad. You know, she never got the break her daughter did. Uh, and it, it's, it, 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 yes, everyone involved in that, uh, the, the playwright, the composer, uh, the, the actors have helped to create that. But his lyrics lead me to believe that he is not writing her off. He, he needs you to know who she is, what she needs, and how it didn't work out for her. I uh, am going to uh, politely disagree with you a little bit, push back okay. on the issue of cynicism and uh, Sondheim. Uh, and, and Gypsy is uh, my favorite. He didn't write the musical, the music, but as I said, I'm I'm in love mainly with the lyrics of Sunheim. I have to say, I just like reading them sometimes. But I had yeah. just been randomly as preparation going through some Sunheim lyrics uh, to share them with you and get your thoughts of them. And there's one absolutely delightful lyric that I completely forgot, and it's from one of the most uh, well-known Sunheim songs, or well, well-known Sunheim works, I should say, West Side Story, which I've seen like 452 times. I don't know if I could see it again, uh, but I probably will see the Steven Spielberg movie that's coming out. Sunheim himself said it's, it's a good movie, so okay, if it's good for him, I'm going to go see it. But it's the song America. And if this isn't cynical, but in such a delightful way, Bill, it's it, it like sneak cynicism. So here's the song. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to sing it. Unlike Bill, I cannot sing. Uh, if we played the musical, the music, we'd probably be sued by the Sunheim estate. Uh, and if I were to sing it, I would be charged with assault with a deadly weapon, which is my voice. So I'm just <laughs> going to read the lyric. Uh, I like to be in America. Everything uh, okay by me in America. Everything free in America for a small fee in America. I read that, I'm like, oh my God. Everything's free in America for a small fee in America. It doesn't get much more cynical than that, Bill. Go ahead. Okay, I will. Uh, what mitigates it is the music. It is a... It allows... I mean, and, and comedy can... 
can transform cynicism, I, I, I want to believe, because that's funny. It's also sad, but at first it's funny. And it, and it, and it allows us to laugh at the cleverness of the, the put-down, uh, but um, I, don't, I, I don't find that a cynical song. I, I, I feel it's damning. Uh, cynical to me means uh, dismissing something to the point of it's hopeless. And that music isn't hopeless. Uh, I think that's that's actually a very valid point. In other words, uh, well, first of all, he did, uh, just one more time, he did not write the music to that song. Uh, Leonard Bernstein no, did. but they were working uh, together. They were working together, yeah. God, what a, just imagine what that was like, uh, Bill, if you could be a fly on the wall. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think, yes, upon reflection, the line itself is cynical, but it's embedded mm-hmm. in a larger song that's filled with hope. And the hope is carried by the yes. music. And yeah, so yes, um, the transformation, the, the adjustment of somebody who moved from Puerto Rico to New York City is difficult and challenging. Uh, yeah. And there are many disappointments along the way, but there's still this sense of hopefulness and optimism uh, and belief uh, that a dream can be realized. But he just he, he just drops that little line in there just to let you know he knows how the game is really going yeah, down. You he follow does. what I'm saying? He does. You know, I, and I, I've directed Romeo and Juliet, I think, three times. And it, 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 I've, I've done a couple of school, uh, you know, productions for uh, um, the tour to, to schools or, you know, schools, uh, uh, educational for, uh, productions were for the schools. And I love doing that. But I always want to laugh because it's like, okay, so you want us to bring in this play about sex, drugs, and suicide, right? That's what you know we're doing. Uh, and they don't see it that way. They never do, uh, or, or rarely do. Um, um, I did do a production a, a, a few years back in Montana, and there was one small town that had had in their school uh, a number of teen suicides that year. And they asked us not to come that year, and we fully understood why. But like, uh, like West Side Story, it at the heart of the play is these two young people who love each other despite, despite society, despite their parents, despite everything, and play it out to the end, and and. You know, you always have to find, you, you can't let them know they're going to die at the end, even though everybody knows they die at the end. But you fight not to, to make them forget, to make the audience forget that. Uh, let me go through a few more songs uh, and get your response or reaction to them. And they're very well known. Obviously, uh, you've directed them, sung them, listened to them. Uh, one is Send in the Clowns, which is perhaps is, I don't know, I probably uh, the only Sunheim song that was a pop hit. Uh, Judy Collins recorded it in the seventies, and it was a pop hit. Uh, I'm not sure certain if any of other of his songs were uh, turned into popular hits that made it on the radio, etc., and so forth. And uh, so this is a song where um, it's uh, it's about missed romantic chances and. Uh, the character who sings it uh, is an aging actress. 
So it's kind of like a play uh, on missing out on love and also uh, reading your, excuse me, reading your stage notes about entering uh, uh, when you when you enter the stage in a theater. Okay, here we go. Just when I stopped opening doors, finally knowing the one that I wanted was yours, making my entrance again was my with my usual fair, flair. Some of my lines, sure of my lines, no one is there. Boy, did I butcher that. But no one is there. And uh, talk a little bit about that. It's just such a powerful lyric, uh, Bill. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And, and you know, it didn't have to do anything because she'd done the play in front of it. You know what I mean? It, it was very, uh, this is a woman who knows who she is at a moment in her life, more, more at this moment than any other moment in her life. And what she's discovered she wants, needs, isn't available. And it's, she approached, the song does not insist, the song does not, the music doesn't uh, berate or mourn. It, it, it's in three, four time, like the whole show. And, and yet there's an unbearable sadness in it. And part of what makes it land for me is her conscious uh, ability to be in front of it, ending with, well, maybe next year. Uh, 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 it's unbearable. <laughs> it's, uh, and, and, and a terrific actor or singer. And interestingly, for no reason except I just, I, I just read about it, there's on YouTube, Sarah Vaughn does a version and I thought, well, I'd be interested in that. And you all, you, 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 whether it's a song or a scene, you want an artist to bring themselves to it. Don't ever think that it has to be what somebody else did it. And it is so Sarah Vaughan in terms of who she it was as a woman, an older woman in that moment, as a musician. Uh, it, it's astonishing. And she ends it really meaning, well, maybe next year, uh, only with her extraordinary musicianship. But, but it is great literature, great plays, great songs mm, benefit from having different people uh, interpreting them. I'm, we talk about cynicism. I don't think that's cynical. It's so sad, though, because you know... It's like maybe it's like it's like me and uh, the Bulls. Maybe next year they'll win, and I know they're not going to win next year either. But this is the the stakes are a little higher. Uh, you know, this is love and uh, yeah, searching for something you'll never find. Maybe next year. It's ultimately a very sad song. Do you agree? It is very sad, but I love that it doesn't it doesn't ask us to cry or. I mean, we will cry. We frequently it makes me cry, but it is so mm, restrained in its in its uh, tragedy, uh, uh, and that that's that's music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim. All right, uh, here's another song, uh, and in the obituary, and I've read this elsewhere, uh, it's sort of considered Stephen Sondheim's song for himself, and it's called "Anyone Can Whistle." And it's, uh, he wrote it from the point of view of a woman who found it hard to love. This is a, a theme in Stephen Sondheim. 
It's hard to love. It's hard to find love. The world could be very cruel if you can't find love. Uh, so again, I will do my best not to brutalize this bill. Uh, anyone can whistle. That's what they say. Easy. Anyone can whistle any old day. Easy. It's all so simple. Relax, let go, let fly. So someone tell me why can't I? I can read Greek. Easy. I could slay a dragon any old week. Easy. What's hard is simple. What's natural comes hard. Maybe you can show me how to let go, lower my guard, learn to be free. Maybe if you whistle, whistle for me. Damn, what a riff. That, <laughs> that riff, what's hard is simple. What's natural comes hard is, is a priceless riff coming out of a, a writer's mind. But talk a little bit about, in general, that... Uh, well, not that I can swear to this, but that sounds to me as autobiographical as anything he ever wrote. Uh, you know, he knew he was a brilliant man, and and he he played to that. But I, I don't know that, that what we would call love came easily to him. Uh, um... And I, I, once again, he's not, he's not begging us to feel sorry for him, or her in this case, the, the, the character, but she's laying it out. It has a, it, because he's such a precise lyricist and a precise composer, the, again, the, the tune is sort of minimal, you know, it's simple, <laughs> unlike this man's life. Uh, and it, it gets into your, it gets into our souls. It gets under our fingernails, uh, by, by letting it be. And why, you know, these circumstances in which a character like that would say this, um, I think that's extraordinary. I mean, he's, he's admitting to something. She's admitting to something that seems, um, so hard to imagine. You said something, I wrote it down. He knew he was a brilliant man, and he played to that. Uh, tell me a little bit more what you meant by that. Well, uh, you know, he had fun with lyrics. He had fun with rhymes. He, uh, he loved crosswords. Uh, uh, he, he never apologized for that. Uh, again, some of his critics thought he, he I, I think, would describe him as too clever by half. But for me, it, it always comes back to what do you do with that clever? And, and, and when he's writing his own music, and even when he's not, it's to a purpose. It's to a purpose. We can take joy in those rhymes and those schemes, but it's not an end to a, it's not, it's, there's still a story to be told, and I think he always understood story, and he always understood character. It, it was terribly important to him to delineate character. When you say character, you mean the character of uh, the people, you talk about the characters, the literal characters uh, in his shows, that they would have to be consistent, that they have to be full, full fledged. That's what I thought you were uh, meant. Yeah, I mean, it, it, a little night music. It, the entire, all the music in the show is written in three, it, 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 like De Rosen Cavalier, waltz tempo, and yet, you know, the way Petra sings, the maid, about you know her love affairs, 
and send in the clowns. And I mean, you go through and, and everyone is taken care of as a character because, and I've heard in interviews, I've heard him say how important that is to him. It's why actors want to do it. Explain that. What do you mean? Why actors want to do it? Well, you, you, uh, you know, do people do the people getting cast in a, in a Sondheim musical, they're grateful. It's like getting cast in Shakespeare. It's like, okay, only I can screw this up, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> the writing's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got no one to blame if they screw it up, that's for certain. Right, uh, this, right. this is from Assassins, and uh, I don't know if you've ever staged it or have been in it. Uh, it's Assassins about people who've no. assassinated presidents. Um, Man, that blew, that kind of blew me away when uh, the first time I saw it. Uh, but uh, this one here, I've, I've thought about this. I just get your, uh, this is, of course, the closing lines uh, to the song that all the assassins gather on stage to sing. Everybody's Got the Right is the name of the song. Uh, rich man, poor man, black or white, pick your apple, take a bite. Everybody just hold tight to your dreams. Everybody's got the right to their dreams. And it's such an aspirational lyric. And if you took it into a different context, you could like use it to sell products you know, uh, uh, in, in merchandising, you know, on a TV campaign or something. But they're talking about a, people who are claiming this right to fulfill their dreams by killing prominent powerful, popular, a lot of P's coming out of me, uh, Bill, politicians, presidents. And I used like he's just turning everything upside down and uh, inside out. And he does it. And again, like I said, take just the, the way the words flow. Pick your apple, take a bite. Pick your apple, take a bite. What a just a great combination right there. Uh, so first of all, uh, I guess that's not cynical. How would you describe uh, this particular song? Harrowing? <laughs> Frightening? <laughs> um, he's not afraid of fear. He's not afraid at all. I mean, Sweeney Todd. Uh, he's not afraid to scare us. Uh, it's interesting. I've, I've, I, every day it seems like there's something new in a paper or magazine about him. And he, he recently, before he died, he talked about uh, how that musical in the age of being able to, you know, buy a semi-automatic at a 7-Eleven uh, uh, um, has, has darkened. I mean, it, 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 it has become more dangerous of, uh, than it was intended to be. Yeah, it's, it's extremely relevant uh, to this day. Absolutely. There was this shooting in Michigan. It wasn't a president, but... Uh, uh, five uh, teenagers killed at a school in uh, Michigan, and uh, so yeah, it's extremely relevant. Uh, and then finally, I'm gonna, for, as long as I'm uh, doing my favorite Stephen Sondheim, my absolute favorite uh, is from Gypsy, and I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on uh, the poet at play here. And again, he did not write the music. To Gypsy, uh, I think it was Jules Stein wrote the music to Gypsy, but this is just so delightful, the way this flows out. 
uh, have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone, have a napkin, have a chopstick, have a chair, have a spare rib, Mr. Goldstone, any spare that I can spare, I'll be glad to share, have a dish, have a fork, have a fish, have a pork. <laughs> This is just put your feet up, feel at home, have a smoke, have a Coke. Would you like to hear a joke? I'll have June recite a poem. Have a lychee, Mr. Goldstone. Tell me any little thing that I can do. Ginger, peachy, Mr. Goldstone. Here's the have a kumquat. Have two. <laughs> Everybody give a cheer. Have Santa two. Claus is sitting here. <laughs> Mr. Goldstone, I love you. That is, of course, Mama Rose sucking up to Mr. Goldstone because she thinks uh, that he can help advance the career of her daughter, and then she learns that he can't, and so she just... <laughs> if that's not cynical, I don't know. So she just throws him out, Bill Brown. <laughs> but what a riff. <laughs> Talk about that from an actor. Well, look you, how you much must... you're enjoying it. How much, oh, how much fun that is for us. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I, I read that... that in the theater, and I've I, I've never had anything to do. I've seen it. I've seen it a number of times. I saw it uh, uh, when Angela Lansbury do. I, I've seen a lot of them, and it's always thrilling to see. I, I saw Ife Butler to do it. It, it. It's 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 so thrilling. But uh, uh, but he wrote that the when she sings, the orchestra gives her the note, and she goes, "Have an egg roll, Mr. Goldstone." And it, it, the audience erupts. It's the it's the, it's such a great punchline. And he said the problem then is how how do you keep the song going after the first line gets that big laugh? Uh, 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 and um, and so he did it by using his extraordinary inventiveness. Inventiveness. He went off the charts in terms of you know what he did with his own clever lyrics. That is so true. Yeah, uh, it starts with a great line, and then how do you top that? Well, referring to uh, a, not just one kumquat, but two, uh, is a good way to follow up yeah. a great line. I don't worry, got kumquat. <laughs> it is, oh, God. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I just start <laughs> laughing. Oh, God. It's, it's wonderful. Uh, and there's, And just the sheer joy of so many of his lyrics uh i i mean yeah it, when did clever become a bad thing you know as long as it's in the pursuit of truth and i think he he was always in the pursuit of truth uh i saw many years ago a movie that i don't i don't know how many other people saw it it was uh i don't think it did very well it's called camp and uh i don't know how why i saw it, but whatever i saw it and it's a movie about a camp for teenagers who are musically talented or theatrically talented. And uh, so it's sort of like um, Fame. I don't know if you ever saw the TV show, uh, the movie Fame, which is set in a New York school for really talented uh, kids, musically talented kids, uh, theatrically talented kids. But this is a summer camp. They all go to the same summer camp and they take singing and they take dancing and and then they tell their lives. One's gay, one's straight, this, that, the other thing. This one has a crush on that one, blah, blah, blah. It turns into a soap opera. Uh, but somewhere in the middle of the show, uh, in this movie, Stephen Sondheim, playing Stephen Sondheim, comes on. He's in the movie. And the whole point of it is that every kid in that camp, gay, straight, 
black, white, Hispanic, like loves Stephen Sondheim. And it's like if Michael Jordan walked on to a basketball camp and that's, it's Stephen Sondheim. And I want you to talk about that. Do you think like his, that ability to touch the heart of a kid who, they may not go on to a career like you have, Bill, in in, uh, theater, but it's in their heart and soul. Do you think that essential Stephen Sondheim connection will exist now with kids, even that he's passed, he's gone, he's not creating new works anymore? I do. I do. He's infected us all. Uh, um, You know, I just was just this this morning reading about the new production of Company in which... uh, Bobby is now B-O-B-B-I-E. It's, it's, it's a woman's story. And he had some reservations about it, but uh, the woman who's directing it went to talk to him, and she, she made, had made a tape, uh, a videotape, of uh, this workshop she'd done. And uh, he watched it, but what really sold him was there was some... Uh, there was some tech guy working on the on the taping, and he heard him say as it was, uh, as the tape was ending, "Wait a minute! I can't even see that. You mean a guy does this really?" He couldn't. I mean, and that Sonda went, "Okay, okay, I can run with this." He couldn't even imagine such a thing after ha- uh, seeing a woman play Bobby. So, uh, I. I I think he knew he was for the ages. Um, uh, he had every right to protect what he'd written, but um, he was interested in... He, all of us who do theater know, and, and particularly those of us who do a lot of classical theater, if it's not about us, if it's not about the people in those chairs and us up here on the stage and, and those of us, and when we direct, if we can't make it about us now... There's just no reason to do it. I, I, I mean, you, you, you don't. I mean, if you go to see a head of Gabler, and the only reason she shoots herself is because she lives in the Victorian age, I've wasted my time. I have to find what motivates anyone to do what they do in a play, in a story, in a book, anything, and and see how that translates into our own world, right? And he really understood that. Um, he, he, company is the only, uh, most of the things he's done live in a, like, there's no reason necessarily to switch up, uh, assassins or, um, little night music or Sweeney Todd because they live in a period company wants to be in the present. And, uh, uh, and, and I did, and I, and I got to direct a, a, a production of that that I, I really, again, something I listened to when I was a kid in West Virginia. <laughs> what did I know? But uh, it, it had to be about, it was, it, I just couldn't imagine it as a period piece. So we didn't look like a period piece. And by and large, it found its way, except for the lyric, I'll see you tomorrow or my service will explain. <laughs> and, you know, for many people in the audience, well, I don't know, half the audience. They, it was, they didn't even hear the line, because what the hell does it mean to say your service will explain? We don't, that doesn't exist in our world. 
But other than that, um, he is timeless. He's he's a consummate artist, both lyrics and music, and creator of stories and plays. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Bill, we've run out of time. Uh, I've got a whole bunch of other lyrics here, but we'll have to hold that off to a second uh, Stephen Sondheim appreciation show. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I had such, it was so much fun reading Have an Egg Roll, <laughs> Mr. Goldstone. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm going to call you up sometime and make you read me that. I love, <laughs> I, I love hearing you read that. Uh, I did yeah. a good job with that one. I didn't do such a great job with sending the clowns. <laughs> Uh, but I blame the fact that I could not read my own handwriting. Um, as always, uh, it's handwriting will do you. Uh, Bill Brown, I didn't say uh, I met Bill because he's my neighbor. One day I was walking uh, by his house when he was giving away books, not even selling them. Uh, and he gave me a copy of Tennessee Williams' memoirs. Maybe the next show we have to do is about Tennessee Williams' memoirs because it's a delightful book. Okay, I absolutely I'm up enjoyed for that. It. Uh, and... Um, but uh, thank you for uh, taking the time to come on my humble little show. And I, re- I really enjoy talking Stephen Sondheim with thank you. Thank you, Ben. All right. That's uh, Bill Brown. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. Mm-hmm.